Oh everyone, it's time once again for Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World. It's your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime customer guy, product guy, data guy at Data.World, joined by Juan Cicada. Hey Tim, uh, it's Juan Cicada, uh, the principal scientist here at Data.World, and as always, it's a pleasure. Today we are actually now live officially on a Wednesday because last week we did it like on a Thursday night and whatever. Uh, and middle of the week, end of the day, and super excited to kind of keep the whole day to day Texas stuff going. Uh, we had a phenomenal weekend. I mean, truly, if you were not in Austin last Saturday, you missed out. They're just, I mean, I wanted to clone, I needed to clone myself with, I mean, so many talks and so many people to go talk to. And one of the talks that we had at Data Day Texas, I was super excited, it all lined up, and she's here today, is Jessica Talisman, who is an information architect at Amazon, who has so much experience in taxonomies and library sciences, obviously information architecture, a very long career around this. Jessica, it is super, super awesome to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm super excited. But let's, before, let's kick it off. Uh, what are we drinking? What are we toasting for today? Well, I am drinking coffee thanks to a free mug from Data Day Texas. And um, yeah, coffee with a little bit of coconut milk in it. That's a good one. Yeah. That sounds good. And uh, what do you want to uh, toast for? Um, I want to toast uh, to the exchange of ideas. I mean, I think that was what was so dynamic and amazing about Data Day Texas was just it was an ongoing dialogue, nonstop thinking and exchange of ideas and learning. So that's what I'm toasting to. I yep. love that. Cheer, cheers to that. Tim, how about you? Uh, I am drinking... Uh, a uh, martini, but it's made with Empress Indigo Gin, um, which has a, what is it called? Uh, butter, uh, a butterfly pea blossom, which means mm -hmm. that it has a blue color when you're not, uh, when you don't add anything to it. But if you add lemon, like an acid to it, it actually makes it turn uh, like a purplish pink color. Oh, look at that. Very cool. This is a, a live a party trick. <laughs> For everyone here, not not only listening to us, you should watch the video to go see that. <laughs> yeah. Went from blue to pink. So pretty cool little gin there. I thought I'd do a little trick for today. Um, I will cheers to the exchange of ideas as well. Uh, and actually, unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it to day-to-day -day Texas this weekend. And so I'm feeling all the FOMO. Uh, I want to catch up on all the slides and all the good things that came out of that. Uh, such an amazing crew. So cheers to the exchange of ideas. And I'm having, a, just went to the bar and I said, well, there's Aperol and there's gin. So I just Googled a couple of things and yeah, just an Aperol gin tonic. Actually, it's a pretty, pretty smooth, relaxing drink. And just a reminder, this is great why we need to go to conferences. And if, if, fortunately, we get to the, have the possibility to do this in person because a lot of the, the, the hallway conversations, the happy hours, the dinners, like that's where a lot of the bigger exchange happens, not just at the talk in the five minutes for Q&A. So, so cheers to that. And hopefully people get the opportunity to have more FaceTime with all the folks that you get to interact uh, virtually. So cheers. Awesome. Cheers. All right. So our, our warm-up, uh, funny, funnier warm-up question here is, what's your favorite organizational activity? Something you'd like to go do or involves organizing? Um, you know, I think it's organizing junk drawers. I love organizing junk drawers and um, making sense of that mess. I am known for having buying trays and like little organizing trays. Um, 
and uh, kind of going after it in, in drawers at home, my kids' drawers everywhere. So that's my my task. Uh, I, I I can see that. I can. I'm actually like going right now. Yep, my drawers need some more. <laughs> There's no such thing as na or other. Like if you care about it, it's going to go somewhere. Oh, so miscellaneous. I, I don't, I, no, I don't care about my drawers. They are in such disarray. Jessica, you would not like my drawers. <laughs> I'm happy to help you out. All right. Tim, how about you? Uh, for me, my favorite organizational activity is to organize my desk because like the room can be all messy, clothes can be everywhere, whatever. But as long as my desk is nice and neat, as long as my pile of books is in a nice, neat pile. I know for some people, they would say that's a mess. No, that is an organized pile, I would say. <laughs> but then I'm happy. Is that like an oxymoron right there? A organized pile? An organized stuff? pile? Yeah, yeah maybe so. <laughs> well, mine is, is, is to organize my, my wine. Like I have my little cellar with all my fridges. Mm. I'm like, okay, where do I put things? And then maybe I'm going to change things a little bit here. Or is this really up to date and everything? So, and then there's is a lot your of- your collection pretty big now? Uh, you, yeah, I got, I got, I'm, I ran out of fridges and, and rack space. So I'm, I'm good. It's a good <laughs> problem to have, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, my, my, well, my, my wife's pregnant too. So she's not drinking wine. So we have, uh, so yeah. You're accumulating it fast. I got more accumulated. And then I'm like, I really don't need a, I just ordered a case of this stuff. I really didn't need it. I don't have to place it. I'm not drinking. Anyways, uh, whenever folks are in Austin, reach out to me like wine. Uh, let's, let's go drink some wine. So, all right, let's kick it off. Honest, no BS. What the heck is information architecture and what does that have to do with AI? All right. So information architecture is the active organizing information. It could be controlled vocabularies, taxonomies, thesauri, even goes into ontologies, but it's creating methods and systems for organizing information. And usually that's done for the benefit of a front-end experience. And it can be back-end experience as well, internal, internal operations. But it helps to support findability and discovery. So, um, you know, it, it involves research um, and it involves cleaning data and um, knowing the stakeholders, knowing the platforms, it can be pretty technical. Um, a lot of people think that information architecture is simply designing browse experiences, and that is one facet, um, maybe information architecture and the UX UI experience, but um, the more global information architecture is really about organizing um, holistically. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with people talking about uh, information architecture quite often in the context of like, you know, a website, like you go there and you're like, hey, like, well, here's this section, and here's this section. And, you know, and then, of course, there's hierarchies, right? Like sometimes you go into a section and there's more sections. Um, so I, I think probably a lot of folks who are listening who aren't familiar with the field more uh, in more detail probably think of websites. But like what, what are some examples of other kinds of information architecture that uh, that maybe people don't think about as often? Um, even database structures can be information architecture structures. Um, and so uh, other systems, you mean outside of, of the enterprise or outside of a business? You might, yeah, it could be, yeah, even outside of enterprise, yeah. Um, a grocery store, like any sort of store that has those hmm. signs or those, um, you know, that, that gives you some map or idea of where things live. That would be one, one example. 
Um, obviously, e-commerce, you know, you see it everywhere. Um, even medical systems, tax systems, those all follow taxonomies or information architecture systems. Um, call centers, so being able to route calls appropriately um, for customer service. Um, beyond chatbots, if chatbots are going to work, and this is sort of dipping into the AI realm, um, there has to be some sort of logical map um, to the domain. Mm, yeah, let's let's explore that more. So what what like why? So what what is what is the connection between information architecture and AI? And then specifically, you said chatbots. So it sounds like there's something uh, especially specific around chatbots that this ties to. Yeah. So. Chatbots, like a, on a very simple level, chatbots um, need a taxonomy and some sort of information structure in order to help the person using the chatbot. So um, it can route calls, it can route communication, you know, beyond phone calls, obviously, so that you're looking for, um, uh, you're, you're giving AI essentially or large language models a map of internal systems. So a, an enterprise, an organization, a company's information is unique to that company. It's like a fingerprint. There's no way for AI or a large language model to know how to make sense of any input without having that map. So it knows what topics, what subjects, um, what actions, what event structures exist in order to post or classify information appropriately to the right node on a taxonomy. So what I am really excited about how, how you kicked it off here is that you gave a very specific definition of information architecture, mm -hmm. uh, right? Organizing information, con con including control vocabulary, sorry, ontologies, with a method and system to organize information for the benefit of the front end, but also the back end. And, and then when we go into the back end, you started, you said, even like database structures. So kind of getting, getting, we have to get, I want to get more into the AI, but before we even deep, dive deeper into the AI, information architecture, let's jump into data architecture and how this is related because look, the honest, no BS around all this stuff is that people kind of throw out these words and people are more data architects. And then you're like information architecture and they're like, well, like making, making stuff up. And they're like, okay, let, let's demystify this. Uh, and I think also acknowledge that like these definitions, maybe we won't agree on them and that's fine. Mm -hmm. be yeah. honest, what, what, what is our definition for these words? So data architecture could be exclusively like schema-based definitions for a database. Um, if you're thinking of a, a PostgreSQL or a SQL database, it, you're creating the architecture for those schemas, for the columns, for the tables, um, for ETL and ELT as well. And so if you're constructing um, schemas and looking at entity resolution from a database perspective, Obviously, you have to make sure it all checks out and that the flow of information can happen from the database and flow through the system in order to be useful to everyone else in the organization that's handling or managing data. Now, obviously, not everyone is in SQL databases, relational databases. So the bigger question is, how do you make that data then usable to everyone else in the organization? Because not everything is in a SQL or Postgres database. And then the other big topic there is connecting this to the enterprise architecture. So I just really wanted to mystify, right? Let's start connecting this all together. 
And the funny thing is I've worked in all of these domains. So, you know, it depends on where you get hired. It seems like sort of a moving, shifting landscape. And so enterprise architecture is usually centralized and deals with helping to um, structure the entire infrastructure of an enterprise, of an organization. So how the enterprise um, communicates throughout to make sure that how the data basically on a higher level flows. Now, I have seen Enterprise Architect also advertised in job postings as a sales type job, which is interesting. So if it's a sales type job and you're dealing with Enterprise Architecture, perhaps you're analyzing how a certain product that you're trying to sell um, works with the overall data architecture of an organization um, and analyzing that. I think is I think we'll, now tying this back to AI. One of the things that we are seeing is that with AI, you kind of kind of you can do all these like if we focus on the chatbots. Uh, I can just ask questions on all these documents, all this text that I have. But if you really want to connect this to how your your organization is thinking, right? How they how they organize their their information, right? It's like well, you need to understand what how it's being organized. What are these vocabularies? What are the taxonomies? What are, the, what are the, all the semantics? And if you don't invest in that, and you and I think the, also the other part is like, well, it's already my data, right? My database schemas. I'm like, well, there's this whole disconnect. I mean, that's structured for- Disconnect, yeah. There's a physical stuff yeah. and then like, how do people actually think? So this is, I like to kind of open the floor to you. It's like, what are the what are the disconnects that you're seeing and kind of the the- what people think like, oh, this is, this is okay, this is easy, when in reality, it's much more complicated. Yes. So, you know, number one, what I'm seeing is people that are trying to derive an information architecture, such as a controlled vocabulary taxonomy from ChatGPT. So their starting place being trying to get, get a, an AI model to render a taxonomy um, ontology out of input that may be like a presentation, it may be a collection of documents. And I'm not sure that that's a realistic methodology. In ad tech, it's very common for organizations to um, to just ask blank questions. It's sort of like writing a blank check, but you don't know where it's posted to. I mean, like if you ask a large language model to create a taxonomy for you that's consistent and validated. Last I checked, LLMs do not have validate validation machines for checking information architecture um, components such as taxonomies or ontologies. So again, because that's a fingerprint of your organization, a collection and a holistic view of your entire organization, including classification schemes, definitions, um, ontologies, knowledge graphs are for the win. Um, you're able to truly structure what is unique and what is specific about your organization because how your organization defines something may be totally different from the way that the rest of the world or, or, or other organizations define that. So um, LLMs don't know that. They can learn, but that, again, takes you telling or, or inputting that information in order to derive that meaning, but we 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 can use it as a as and I think we should start using it to to for some sort of inspiration to not like start like from a from blank slate. I think that's an important exactly brainstorming for sure. But I've been in situations where you're trying to create a structure and you ask ChatGPT 
for example, because that's the most widely used, and you would ask for an, a taxonomy, say, uh, that represents health and medical. And if you know how LLMs, and especially in the case of ChatGPT, is trained and what the training data is, that's a pretty good indicator of what sources are being used in order to deliver you information or inf to deliver you that taxonomy. So for example, it trains on NIH. It trains on all the government sites, ChatGPT does specifically. It trains on all of that open access information. And so if it's going to create you a taxonomy specific to a certain domain, we're just taking medical as, as an example, I have seen more than once these, these examples or these starting places blow up as like, that looks awfully familiar. It's like the health and human services browse menu. Or you start to see these patterns exist. Now, as a starting point, if you're able to look at what what an LLM perceives as level one, level two, level three in a taxonomy, that brainstorming or that starter bit, you can go back and say, okay, this makes sense. Where do these exist in our information environments? Hmm. That's super interesting. And it makes a lot of sense um, that you're essentially, you know, you're asking something relatively specific out of something like ChatGPT or an LLM. And of course, it's going to find that part of its training corpus that it thinks connects and it may not be reflecting your unique fingerprint. No, I mean, a great, I'm, I kind of want to give this example of there actually being pre-work before you input and start to try to derive meaning. Mm -hmm. If you actually go through the exercise of taking all of the publicly available taxonomies that are most widely used, in the throughout the internet that would be gs1 like the brick schema and then you'd be looking at google market and facebook marketplace and iab and all of these taxonomies that are most widely used do an analysis and figure out what's the same across all those taxonomies what's unique across all those taxonomies in the level one and level two because that's the highest representation and start to look at the patterns but also start to look at your data, your information structures, if you have them, your taxonomies, your hierarchies, and you can actually start to see very transparently how the answers that are derived from an LLM or specifically ChatGPT because of the instance of training on the, on the World Wide Web, how there's so many similarities and there's almost a mirroring effect. It's not so much of a mystery. If you know what the training data is, then you can assume from step A through your end point that that information is obviously going to play into the answers you receive. So yeah, we're kind of, let me highlight here this comment that we just got here. Yeah. And agree with this comment about the taxonomy specific to a domain, yet there is such a wide spectrum of deployments that are not the case for a level one start. Many are very complex and might need to be trained on your own mm -hmm. compared to the others. Yes, yes. So, what I, what I find interesting from this comment here, if I understand this correctly, is that there's so much out there that, I mean, very specific that you can go find on the web, right? It's not just not just go not just go to GPT, like actually go to the original source, yeah. right? And then it's interesting to go kind of see where the overlap is, and part of that is that should be if you're starting off, you're like that should be your inspiration or be an inspiration, and then you say, okay, that's stuff that all these other experts have done. There's so much agreement. How does that compare to what I'm going to do? And 
you're going to probably, I mean, I'm going to guess here, but it's almost, almost an 80-20 rule. Like 80% of that type of stuff is probably going to be relevant to me, but then there's going to be a 20 or I mean, a part, right. another part that's going to be specific. And then and then you get at that top level and then when you get more specific, then that's going to be, again, specific to you. Is that, is that a valid assessment? That's a, that's a valid assessment. I mean, you do need like that whole idea of the wide spectrum of deployments and um, it's not always the case. The complexity of a domain does need specific training. I think that's what I was saying before is you need specific training um, in order to render anything meaningful. Um, and and so you know we lo we look at the advent of of rag models just as an example of rag implementations. Well, that's lending more context in order to derive more meaning and more specificity from an LLM, because you have to surround your instance and your um, prompts, obviously, and and your output specific to the context of your of your instance. Have you found um, that? things like RAG architecture is helpful to get more useful information architecture assistance from AI? Like, 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 is it helpful and how helpful is it? It's very helpful because you have the opportunity to, to um, structure, to present your information in a structured fashion and then also surround the context with input that perhaps is less structured, but has the context within the documents or the input. And so to cure, it's basically, I see it as like almost a curation tool um, as well. And it helps to align the instance and use cases because otherwise, like, for example, if you don't have coverage of specific topics that are relevant to your organization, how are those, how, how is that output from an LLM, from AI going to deliver that information? So I, let's dive into this right now. Get, I want to get into some examples. Uh, yeah. What happens in, in your opinion, your expertise, if you do not invest in information architecture and you start building all these AI and reg architecture? So like, let, 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 I mean, I'd love for you to come, come up with some example of like, okay, here, we're not going to go do it. Here's what's going to happen, good and bad. And then here's what we're, we're going to go invest in it. And then I would love to get an example of what it means to do information. Like here's a taxonomy or whatever, so forth. And what are the, the pros and cons around that stuff? Let's get into that. Yeah. So it's interesting because we talked about deriving, um, you know, some sort of structure uh, out of an LLM as a starting place. Well, I have seen firsthand when this happens that you have, if you don't have an organized um, uh, project where you are determining from a single source, like what, what meaning that, that there's one person in charge of of determining what these level ones are. I have seen it such that um, there's splitting or fragmenting of categories, meaning that there's, I'm gonna give the example of home and garden, which is a pretty common domain and home improvement. And so there tends to be this wishy-washiness, if that's an official term, about where to post information. So, going back to that point is like, okay, so you've created two parallel verticals in terms of an information structure, home and garden and home improvement. And all of a sudden you're putting anything having to do with plumbing under home improvement and home and garden. There tends to be, um, you, you miss 
the exactness or the preciseness, which is a problem, because your base structure is flawed or faulty. There's no way. It could be one or the other. It could be both. That's fine. But then that flows through to analytics dashboards. That's another problem. So then you get fractured categories where it exists in two things. Are they the same thing or different things? Plumbing and home and garden and plumbing and home improvement, are they the same thing? You end up seeing that problem start to replicate itself throughout your entire system. So it becomes a non-starter because you end up having a major dirty data situation um, and having to reconcile entities across a system. Um, so you've just added a problem to your system rather than improving. Well, to be plays devil's advocate here, wouldn't it like so what? Like, what if I? Why do I need to go organize home and garden versus home improvement to know what plumbing is? I mean, at the end, these these systems can find it, right? I mean, at the end of the goals, at the end of the day, this the goal is here is to go find and discover, right? So, if I'm launching, if I'm launching a campaign, for example, I work in ad tech. Just give this example. I'm launching a campaign, and my campaign's called Home and Garden. And I decide to curate things because there is context. That's what we've been talking about is information architecture lends itself to context. It's by the parent-child relationships that we understand the context of a, of a certain topic or subject. So if home and garden, if they're different, there's disambiguation settings that you can use with parentheses saying this is only relevant to home and garden and this is only relevant to home improvement as an example well, if you launch two separate campaigns into two separate ad groups and those things are not disambiguated, but you intend them to be the exact same thing, home, home, you know, plumbing and home improvement and plumbing and home and garden are the exact same thing. You need that level of specificity and you need to be aware of that so you can track revenue, for example, and performance because they may perform, it's good to know that those things are split, that that category is split between two verticals, because perhaps it's going to perform better in one vertical than the other. And that's just in that example. But another, another point is, is that it matters for clarity for external customers. If this really, really matters, that external customer may have an ask or a deliverable and is unaware of that confusion in the information matrix. Mm. So it does lend itself to trust and clarity, disambiguation. Those things are very important. That trust certificate, it it's it's it really matters and obviously in business and especially when you're dealing with money. Yeah. No, the this accuracy. is super interesting. Um, as you go through some of these examples of, you know, where where there can be problems, uh, you know, as, as, as you started to talk about some of this, though, like using your example around, you know, home improvement versus home and garden, um, there are certain situations where it makes sense for them, contexts in which it makes sense for them to be thought of together. Um, but then there are other contexts where it doesn't, such as, for example, like who is the persona that I care about, right? Well, in home and garden, maybe I care more about the gardener, whereas with, uh, you know, home improvement, I care more about the plumber and the handyman and things like that, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of what you've been saying around information architecture and even going back to the original uh, thing that we talked about around like a site map or like browsing around mm -hmm. a website, they tend to be pretty hierarchical. Right. Uh, where where it kind of is forking and forking and forking. Um, 
but there are situations where like hierarchies don't really make sense. Uh, maybe especially in the context of AI, I'm, I'm kind of curious about like, how do we, um, how do we, well, like, how do we navigate that? Like, is, is that where, um, I guess, what does information architecture look like if it's not a hierarchy? Um, I guess you could say a controlled vocabulary at base. Hmm. So, I mean, if we're going to take away the hierarchy, the best that you can do is a controlled vocabulary. And if you want the added benefit of reconciling and at least having a field where you can have acronyms and synonyms, that that is at least a place to start. It may be a flat list. But again, us humans operate, and I know that we're not AI, but us humans operate with hierarchy in our brain, decision trees. And if we think that decision trees are not part of AI, then we're sorely mistaken. Uh, I, I'm I'm totally with you here, Jessica. And I feel that I think this is one of the first times that Tim and I may have a bit of a disagreement here on on, on probably like the need or the requirements when it comes to like on, on information architecture. I mean, I'm just I'm saying this based on your comment, Tim. I'm like, well, what if like there's some things that don't need hierarchies? I'm like, I'm, at the end of the day, if if it's explicit or implicit, it's it's there. Right, the hierarchies exist. Now, the question is, do we want to invest in making them explicit or, or not? And I think uh, my point, my point is like, okay, let's not boil the ocean. Let's like create an hierarchy of everything, right? So you should be driven by some of the use cases. And that's what I was asking about, like, why should I? When should I start investing more, like, in having these these semantics, right, in this information architecture? And like, look, if it's really, if you're going to do things for like search, I want to go find things then you can make an argument depending on the type of stuff that you have that you don't need to invest so much in a taxonomy and stuff. But then at some point you're like, there is so much stuff. And when you start people getting complained, well, I can't find things. I can't search. Like I can't, or I, I find, I search for something. I get so many results back. Then you're like, well, now how do I, how do I figure that out? Right. I think that's what, that's an indicator. So that's one thing. And second, I really love when you, what's very specific is I need to go map this to, to questions that have to be, very accurate. For example, on revenue, I need to go categorize the amount of revenue of home and garden versus home improvement because I'm going to invest more. And in, so at that point, people are going to be fighting. Oh no, this thing is over here, and this thing's over. So people are going to be fighting then to go put their, their 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 semantics in there because you're hitting the bottom line, money, right? Or or your 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 clients are like or your customers. I'm going to I I need to know how much more space in my in my factory I need to go do this, right? I'm, depending on how I'm organizing my space. So I think it really depends on, at the end of the day, the bottom line of stuff, right? So if like, oh, I need to go find something and here's a POC and just a couple of people think it's cool, yeah, don't invest in it. But if you're going to put it out, it gets bigger, people start complaining about this stuff, then I don't know. This is where I'm like, yeah, more data and compute is not going to always, is not, is not always going to solve the problem. Like and that's expensive. spend a little bit more time and invest in yeah. that semantics. Anyways, I'm going off a rant here. Yeah, I mean, it's do agree, back me up, or 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 push me off the cliff here. I don't. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, it's expensive to just to just be hoping for some answers and just trying to make sense of what what you've received um, as far as output, and then to make sense of that. First of all, it's expensive for the model to run, so we're looking at economy. 
And so uh, it's been proven time and time again, and that's why vector databases are very helpful, is for helping to cluster and to direct um, learnings and trainings and, and be able to post. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things, like if you look at how the inform how inter the internet's structured, like if you want to have a site that registers with Google, you're going to have to do it. Say you have a Squarespace site, it's going to have to be done in maps because they like to know where you are and what you're doing, but then you have to choose from a taxonomy. Same is true for Instagram. Same is true for almost every single platform. They need taxonomy in order to place your business on the map and in reality within the internet. So when we turn on our computer, that's an order of operations. There's a hierarchy there. We have file and folder systems. Like nothing else, if we were to look at a base structure and and think that, okay, well, this, you know, ChatGPT or, or LLMs are basically statistical. Well, we had LLMs well before ChatGPT. Um, this is not new. And best practices are to have a taxonomy. If I were to train some model and to, um, to train it to, I don't know, say that I'm creating some sort of decision tree or um, a workflow using BERT, which is a large language model. I have to have a taxonomy or else it can't decide what to post to, what decision to make. So I, I super agree that we need taxonomies. Um, but I guess where my mind goes, and I'm curious, you know, Jessica, as well as Juan, if, if, you're, if, you're, if your response to this is like, it doesn't really matter, like it's not an applicable example, right? But let's like go into the example of like a file share environment, right? So I, I have my own Google Drive and I manage a hierarchy of as much as possible, the digitization of my different uh, files, right? Um, and, you know, certain things are pretty easy to classify like, uh, oh, you know, I got my, you know, my uh, W2. OK, well, let me stick that in the taxes folder. Right. Um, but then you've got, uh, oh, I went to the doctor and now I have, you know, a, a receipt uh, from when I went to the doctor and I have a folder called health that's at the same level as taxes. Now, do I stick my health receipt into the health folder? Or do I stick it into my taxes folder because I want to make sure that I take advantage of it as part of my taxes? Um, I'm curious about like, does that matter? Like, ultimately, does AI care? Like, it, we don't have to be um, overly uh, exclusive with our hierarchies. The point is just to give a map. You know, I personally would create medical receipts folder. That's just me, and that would be a subfolder. Because that level of specificity is helpful. Like mm -hmm. being able to tell you're an architect and I'm not. <laughs> and it is how, I mean, it is helpful and nesting folders and understanding even, you know, I go as far as to also include the year in that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that gets into also, you know, mapping systems and being able to map and resolve data entities across an organization. So what, what's one person's receipts could be another person's like med just plain medical. So the, the level of granularity and the way that we organize things across our organizations within those organizations can, can vary greatly. Like there's a huge disparity in most organizations. And that would be the role of like enterprise architecture, for example, or a role for, for enterprise architecture or data architecture. It's important. So I, I want to highlight this comment here. 
Uh, search needs to tolerate the fact that some people think tomatoes and mushrooms are vegetables. Uh, revenue reporting might need a strict taxonomy. We can support both. And I think th th I highlight this because it's like, you know what? I mean, we, I don't, I don't, we shouldn't, there, there's, there are going to be, there are going to be areas where we don't have to be pedantic, but there's some other areas where we must be pedantic because of regulations. I mean, we need to know, I mean, part of a taxonomy is like, what, what do we define as PII and PHI? Like that needs to be fixed. And there's like no discussion about it because we can get fined and that stuff. Like, like, no, 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 no. This is it, period. Right. And some other stuff like uh, tomato, tomato, right? Mushrooms or avocados or whatever. Right. So. Well, and to resolve that, yeah, I agree that search needs to be able to tolerate it. And that's why I build the SORI structures, because I can have a dedicated schema field that prepares for that, you know, with NLP, you know, there's different constructs. And so if you're going to resolve, you know, tomatoes being a vegetable or, a, you know, where, where it's placed or where it's categorized and all of its different names and spellings, you can do so in that type of structure. So I think what's important is that we're not constrained to just a taxonomy structure. Knowledge graphs become knowledge graphs because they can resolve those entities. So it's the very founding principle of information architecture is, yeah, we, we resolve entities. Uh, sorry, Tim and I, we always back. For people who, who don't know how this works, like we have a shared Google Doc, we got a, our, our Slack going in the background, and then people have seen us do it live. Like we're taking live notes, that's how we do our summary. But Tim is like, this is fascinating. I need to I need to go up for the lightning round. Time is passing so quick. We need another hour. I'm like, like, Tim, that's what you missed out. And actually, I missed out talking to Jessica Day-to-Day, Texas. Like, that was one of the things I was really bummed about. That I mean, we, we bumped into each other, like, at a bar at 11 p.m. <laughs> but that's still yeah. enough. But anyways, um, okay, I wanted to we, – we've, we've been throwing out these words. Taxonomy, thesauri, control vocabulary, ontologies, knowledge. All right, Jessica, give, me, give, give us the Jessica definition of all these things. Okay, a taxonomy? Go. Let's do. Let's do. Control vocabulary, uh, thesauri, uh, taxonomy, ontology. Okay. Controlled vocabulary is usually a flat list of terms or concepts within an organization. I love them with definitions. That makes it a glossary. Um, oh, hold on. That's important. So, flat list of terms. That's a controlled vocabulary, and then you take. The control vocabulary plus definitions, and that turns it into a glossary. Glossary, yep. Or some people call it a data catalog, which would include whatever its canonical term is and map it to the database. So we can go that far, but you'd still have definitions possibly. Um, then you go into taxonomy. Taxonomy is a hierarchy with parent-child. And where does the, the, the SORI go? The SORI. Taxonomy first, then the SORI. Okay, you see? Thank you. Well... <laughs> I've seen it the other way around, but yeah, it could go either way, but there's a difference programmatically. So taxonomy is the hierarchy of terms. It can be represented with a lightweight ontology to indicate parent child relationships. Um, and you can carry the definitions through, but the source, if you take that hierarchy, include the definitions, resolve and allow for relationships that traverse the hierarchy that would be like related or related to that becomes a thesaurus. A thesaurus helps. It also captures alt labels or aliases, which would be synonyms and acronyms, and um, can host other languages um, as well. So you can start to integrate NLP at the thesaurus stage. Ontology are the constructs or schemas that help 
to resolve entities, create relationships, add context. So you have properties, classes, relations, and attributes within an ontology that basically is like giving your taxonomy and thesaurus wings. That's a, a beautiful uh, t-shirt right there. An ontology <laughs> gives a taxonomy to Sorry Wings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is there, and then uh, above ta above ontology, is there more? Or, or? Knowledge graph. So a knowledge graph, if you put all of that specialness into a knowledge graph, then you're not only defined, defining the controlled vocabulary, the taxonomy, the thesaurus with all the definitions carried through and the ontology to make the connection, the context and define the relationships between things in your knowledge graph. All right. I think this is a perfect segment. Just it's 40. So it's like, we'll go back. So the minute 37 to 40, great definitions here around, uh, around this. So, so to kind of, um, one of the things we wanted to talk about is also kind of, the relationship between information architecture and all the way to knowledge graphs. So what is your recommendation here for organizations? And, and, and actually people listening right now who, who are thinking, oh, I'm not doing anything with information architecture and I should be doing, and I'm hearing all this stuff about LLMs AI and, and knowledge graphs are involved and I'm hearing semantic layers ontologies. Like there's just so much stuff right now. <laughs> how, how do you, what's your recommendation for folks to kind of like, take it easy and start kind of getting educated and what should they start? How, how should they start? Um, I highly recommend that everyone just download the ONZI Z39 standard for monolingual vocabularies. I know it seems daunting, oh, wow. but that standard is openly available and it defines all of these things, including giving you um, sort of a purview into how to structure things with code really, really high level code and schemas and ontologies. But the whole idea is uh, building and creating structures um, for information retrieval systems. And it's important to follow the steps. I think that so many of us are so rushed to get to the end result. The bad news and the good news is this is not fast information architecture is not fast. So understanding some of the basic rules to what makes a taxonomy a taxonomy, what makes a controlled vocabulary controlled vocabulary will help you avoid some of the pitfalls. There are some pitfalls to creating these structures such as um, creating recursive loops. Machines and people don't like recursive loops. That's a very common mistake. So when it comes to, we're talking about people's and roles here. Do you think that we're going to go like, do we need more information architects or is it like, because I've, I've, coming from the data, the data world, right? You look, you, people are like, I'm doing data engineering or these roles like analytics engineering. And they're like, there's all these roles or titles people have about, but they're doing things that involve semantics involve like, like, is it th these particular ro existing roles? I they have to like, upskill themselves with this? Or you think this is just something, a, br a brand new thing that people should be focusing on and, and we should just have more information architects in the world? I think both. I think understanding leads to support. And that's one of the problems is for us, information architects that are in organizations and trying to structure information, most often 
we're like the loan information architect. Now, I will tell you, I went to two years of graduate school to learn what I know. And I concentrated in informatics, specifically in structuring information um, for catalogs, for knowledge graphs, the whole, the whole deal. So um, we are somewhat shy to hire um, information sci uh, library information science folks into enterprises. And when we do, there's just one person and they're very underfunded. What I see is this struggle where people feel like, oh, I can just read a book or I can just do it overnight and I'll get it. Like, I get it. And that is not necessarily the case because if you look at the construction of Wikipedia, Wikidata, DBpedia, some of these open sources that AI trained on, for example, if we look at the domain of libraries, if you've ever been to the Internet Archive, there's a methodology. This is something that's been going on for 3,000 years. It's not new. Data engineering, from my understanding, I don't know, 50, 60 years. So I think there's a lot of crossover, sure, and a lot of understanding, but there's a shared understanding that needs to be had. It can't be done in isolation. And information architects and information scientists need data engineering and data science folks to collaborate with because it's important to have both views and both sides of the coin present. Like you need to be able to translate things through all systems and information architects cannot do that alone. So I would say hire more information architects. Ask me if you want to find some really, really special people in the information science and library science domains. They definitely know what they're doing. Hmm. Reach out to Jessica. She has some great people to, to, to connect you with. Um, I want to ask you one more question before we get into some of our, you know, lightning round and wrap up and things like that, which is that, you know, we've got a lot of folks that listen who are, you know, data practitioners, who are data leaders, who, um, you know, are, are trying to drive uh, positive change in their organizations. And what would be your recommendation to them, uh, you know, thinking about, information architecture in general, but also in support of AI? Like if you were going to say, hey, here's a couple of takeaways, some homework for, for our listeners, what would you what would you give them as homework? Um, look at to structured data um, and really what that means. Like some people will stop at the definition of data structured for a database, for a SQL database. Look at the extended definition of what structured data means in terms of what is available on the World Wide Web, what AI trained on. And we haven't had enough discussion about that training data structure. We have to assume that if training data exists and that data is structured similarly across the spectrum, why are we not pulling that from the back to the front? Why are we not integrating that into the way that we speak and the way that we are structuring data for AI. I've heard so many complaints throughout um, the past year about having unstructured data and let's try to structure it. And I'm just going to take Google taxonomy or Facebook's marketplace taxonomy, and I'm just going to do it that way. But you're, you're missing a step and you're missing that critical step that is going to make the difference between it being super expensive, moderately expensive or manageable. So if we're complaining about cost, if we're complaining about training data, if we're complaining about structured data, then it's important to understand structured data beyond a relational database. 
I, I like I, I I really appreciate this call because I think when we come when it comes to right now to like a lot of the AI work and with chatting with your data and so forth, it's focusing on the unstructured and then the data on the data side. It's only like on database schemas, but there's much more than that. Mm -hmm. uh, before we go to the lightning round questions, I do want to have this question that came up. In this definition, is an information architect an ontologist? Um, they can wear the hat of an ontologist. Okay. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. I I um I agree. And I think part just like a call out of book, one of my favorite books I tell is uh Semantic Web oh, for Ontologist. Mm -hmm. So this is a good one. It's a good I am one. very, very extremely uh honored and proud that I get to work with Dean Elliman every day. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's the thing is we've created these really narrow, you know, Amazon just recently changed most of the titles of taxonomist to ontologist. You know, what what hat or what term the enterprise decides to, to name what I do or what information architects do is really up to the enterprise. This is a great, a great call out. And I think talk about like where, where are jobs going the next thing. I mean, we always look at the big the big tech, the giants, what they're doing is like, this is really interesting. No, like Amazon is now like calling them all these roles are ontologists. Um, and Sherard, you know, makes a good point, by the way, about, about structured data queries being cheaper than a call to an LLM. So you do have, I think that's a good point because then you have this luxury. If you do structure your data correctly and you do have a knowledge graph, then you also have something to validate your queries with or your LLM output with um, because that becomes a, tr a source of truth. Oh my, we, there's so much I want to go dive. We just kind of opened up the whole, <laughs> let's go yeah. talk about going out into databases more about ontologies and stuff, but uh, we got to start wrapping up here. Uh, Jessica, let's uh, go to our lightning round questions and I'll, I'll kick it off. Uh, question number one. So is the primary role of information architects going to shift to focus on helping AI? Um, I think we are already there to be fair. Yeah. Um, it's just, there aren't enough of us and our voices seem to be quiet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hopefully discussions like this is making the voice louder. People Absolutely. Louder. And just invest, invest in information architecture. Like if you care about your data, then show that you care by hiring and involving information architecture into your system. Usually you see these jobs and, and inter information architecture appear within an organization when it's, oh shit, I can't find anything. Our data is a mess. What do we do? Mm -hmm. It's the fire. And then you get in there. We have to fix it right now. How fast can you do it? And that, and that, that was the takeaway of the research that we were doing, that we did. I mean, working with Dean is like, hey, you want to do all this chat with the data over your structured data? Uh, well, guess what? It's actually going to be accurate if you invest yep. in knowledge graphs and semantics and all this stuff. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that your comment really resonates with me, Jessica. And, and, and an aha moment that kind of pops in my head is that I feel like a lot of organizations invest way more in sort of data architects and infrastructure architects than they ever do in information architects. And we, that was probably always an issue, but it's becoming a, a, a bigger and bigger issue as AI becomes more important and relevant. Yes. And, and remembering that that information architecture is not simply a browse structure in the front end of a website. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you'll see those UX and UI activities happening in isolation, regardless of what shape the data is in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, IA people uh, who could be helping uh, on the data side, on the AI side, are 
being excluded and left to working just with the marketing folks. Yeah. And then we get into fun mapping tasks and all of a sudden new careers evolve that are just simply mapping entities on the back end from a SQL database to the front end of a site, which is just like maddening in some ways. Barely scratching the circuit. Yeah. Yeah. This right. was an important aside, uh, a worthwhile interruption of the lightning round. All right. Yes. Uh, second question. Uh, is a flat glossary, no taxonomy, no ontology, no hierarchy, useful? It is. It is. It's a starting place, especially if it has definitions. Um, and that glossary can add context. I think anything that adds context. Now, personally, I don't think it's enough, but it is important because at least you can agree upon nomenclature, naming conventions. So um, if we're all speaking the same language, I think that's step one. So it is useful. What I call home improvement, you might call home and garden. No. Yep. All right. Next question. Is investing in knowledge graphs going to become a given for every organization trying to work on AI? Yes. And I say that only because you've seen all of the work that's going on with vector databases and with RAG, which is all great, but a more economical way to manage that is knowledge graphs. Plus you have a natural validation source um, by having knowledge graphs. Now, yes, in the future, but again, that is contingent upon hiring more information architect type people like ontologists or however- oh, this, this is a fascinating position right now. It, it, and I'm with you. I am with, I'm with you. But again, it's like you can make the position. Well, the reason why you want to go invest in knowledge is because the amount of compute, right, and even just the, the, the query execution stuff is going to be cheaper if you go do that investment up front. Because otherwise, it's just going to be like you're just running cycles. Already happened. Like, it, it is already happening. So I think that's mm -hmm. one. But then you're like, well, to get there, I have to go invest in all these people, invest in this time to go do that. So it's almost like in a chicken and egg, but hopefully we can like quickly break this this is i was actually having a discussion with some other folks it's like well i mean you go all these cloud data warehouses there's a compute behind this and you don't know exactly if it's generating the right query it's going to generate all these different large queries it's going to be expensive to go do that like how much are you actually considering the the compute costs for that and they're like no, no right now it's like so i guess right now it isn't but then later on you're going to get the bill i'm like oh shoot like all this AI is not just cost it's costing me the compute of just doing the AI thing, but then the queer execution itself later on. So you got me. I, yeah. And I, I got inspiration to do some other new work. I love this. You get, you. If you get a vector database and you have that running with your, a, with your LLM, those two in combination are very expensive. Hmm. I mean, that's like where the exponential, like where the costs just sort, sort of collect exponentially. Um, you know, and, and if you have some sort of flaw in your system and so it's just, you know, you, you see systems where you're racking up these huge bills, um, is that worth it for the customer? Would you rather, um, would you rather invest your money rather than compute time? Wouldn't it be better to invest it on organizing and knowing what you have as an organization? I don't know. I guess that's up to the organization. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a nice aha moment here where, um, I'm really seeing that, uh, uh, you know, I think some people think of AI like free lunch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's an oracle. I mean, it's like Zoltar. Mm -hmm. You know, we think of it as this magical box that it's just going to answer all of our questions and even with accuracy. And that's not always the case. Again, like if you want accuracy in your LLM and want to um, try to minimize hallucinations, knowledge graphs are your answer. Yeah. Love it. Men, I love reading. 
All right, last lightning round question. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to ask you to prognosticate a little bit here or make a prediction. Um, do you feel like as long as we invest in information architecture and building out our knowledge graphs, that we have all the ingredients for AI today? Or are we missing That's something? Question. I think we do have all of our ingredients. Um, if we invest in information architecture, again, I go back to if you dissect training data, what ChatGPT, for example, has been trained on, if we look at that instance, if you look at training data and the structure of information, what has made ChatGPT or other LLMs so successful, it's because they have information architecture. It's following the wiki data, taxonomies and ontologies and roadmaps. And so when we sit here and we ponder, oh, wait, what, what is in ChatGPT? What's making it work? We know what's making it work. It's the training data. And so if we are able to match information architecture with equally an information architecture, then even though it seems abstract, we're speaking the same language. We're using the same constructs uh, in order to classify output and to derive meaning. This is fascinating. It, 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 it's now really clicked for me, kind of what you're saying here, Jessica, that why is chat GPT so freaking magical because of all the IA work that it was trained on. Absolutely. I mean, it can't, it can't occur in isolation. It's not deriving. Like we say, it's a statistical model. Well, that statistical model references an architecture hmm. has to, or else if someone asks a question, what is it going to do? Is it going to find every word that's close to or near home and garden? That's not as reliable you have to have a base structure and understand the relationships between things as well. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. The, 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 this, so I, 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 I strongly believe that's the case. I, I can imagine that is the case. Now, I'm sure that if you go talk to the, the large language model folks, the transformist folks are like, no, it's, it's just more data, whatever. But, but then the the real experiment is: what if I gave you a ton of crap that has no <laughs> no, no information organized? Let's see how you do. Like, how about we eliminate Wikipedia, right? Or just like, just fuck up all the the the, the, the structure, the connections. Yeah. Let's see how you do. Yeah, I mean, like even start with like taking those widely available structures. Take the Gettys thesaurus. It's openly available. You can download it. Take NIH's taxonomy and ontology. Use that as your base structure. Then try to use an LLM and just notice, compare the differences. And then I go off. And it, it, I, I people have been asking me so one like on the on the research that you've done, like why do you, why are you seeing a lot of the the the, the, the accuracy is increasing with knowledge graphs? And, and and I'll be public about this right now because I've been organizing my thoughts. Is I don't have the evidence. I don't even know how to set up an experiment about this, but just the way we, the, our language, the English sentences and stuff, right, follows a follows a format of a graph, right? The subject, predicate, object, right? So, but then your database schema is not necessarily right. So, I mean, that is a that I postulate that that's a reason why things can, yep. can, can, can absolutely can, like those graphs are not. I mean, those graphs, the uh, you know, large language models are not necessarily. I mean, you can use SQL. I know that you've done some work with like using SQL, um, and sure, but. You, you need to take it that one step further. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. So 
takeaway time. Tim, kick us off. Take us away with takeaways. So much. I'm going to have to find a way to summarize this. All right. Uh, <laughs> we took so many awesome notes here. Um, so we started off with the Honest No BS question of what is information architecture and how does it tie to AI? Uh, and Jessica, you provided a, an amazing uh, definition. I couldn't possibly replicate that definition. So for those of you that are just listening to the takeaways, listen to the full episode. You'll hear Jessica give an amazing definition of it. But uh, in, you know, in summary, it's around organizing information, controlled vocabularies, the sources, uh, ontologies, methods and systems to organize information for the benefit of you said often the front end experience, but can also be the back end experience. And and, yes. and for AI, you know, both of those are super relevant. Um, it supports findability and discovery. It uh, requires that you understand the context and the stakeholders. Um, even things like database structures are information architecture, but it's a it's a certain kind optimized for certain use cases. And you even provided a wider aperture of different kinds of information architecture, like going to a grocery store. There's an information architecture there. What aisle are things? How have they been categorized? Where does it live? Uh, medical systems, tech systems, and so on. And how does it tie to AI? Well, you said chatbots need some kind of way uh, to have a map, right, an information system um, so that they can access information in a, in a way that makes sense. Uh, and enterprise knowledge that an organization has um, uh, needs to have some kind of uh, structure to tell AI uh, how to classify things, how to know how to interact with that knowledge. And every organization is different. Use the phrase or the, the word fingerprints pretty often that every organization has its unique fingerprint. Um, enterprise architecture specifically is around the structure of the infrastructure of an enterprise organization, how it communicates, how the data at a high level flows versus data architecture, which can be data schemas, um, could be, you know, how the information is being used by different systems and applications. So we, we have a few different definitions here. And I know in Juan's takeaways, I think he's got some more definitions that, uh, that you talked through, but it really helped to create some clarity between these different concepts. Um, and finally, for my takeaways, I'll say that uh, you did a great job outlining some of the gaps that are in place right now between information architecture and, and what we're trying to do around AI. Like, you know, people trying to use ChatGPT to create taxonomies are going to find that what comes out are the things that it was trained on and not, you know, the unique fingerprint or unique context of your organization. Um, and so you're going to hit some barriers unless you start leveraging, you know, RAG architecture and knowledge graphs and other types of things that are going to help to feed in more of that context. Um, knowledge graphs are for the win, you said. Uh, LLMs can help, uh, you know, with brainstorming and can assist, but they cannot drive. Uh, you need to really consider and do your own research on what kinds of things are the sources for ChatGPT and really think about what's going to be able to give you the kinds of results that you're looking for and not just the cookie cutter types of things. And so much more, but I'm going to pass it over to you. What were your takeaways? Well, to continue here, we had this great discussion when it comes to like, hey, so what happens if you do or you don't have information architecture when you have all these kind of AI or RAG architectures? And throughout the, the episode, we talked a lot about home garden versus home improvement. I think that's a lot of people to, to go back and listen to the episode and, and catch that. I mean, at the end of the day, look, for some things you may not, it's not that important or because you can search for things, but we really discussed that in the moment that search becomes harder, 
it's harder to go find things is because you started, you fractured that. And that's where it comes in. That's the importance of it. Another thing is when you really want the clarity, like, hey, you're going to actually map revenue to one of these things. Like you need to have a clarity of, is it going to be home garden or home improvement? It's going to be very different. Customers maybe may expect different things. Uh, and at the end of the day, this leads to trust. We talked a lot about hierarchies. And I think this was a question like, how much do we really need hierarchies or not? And I mean, the whole point is that hierarchies, taxonomies, they're all over the place already. You need to place things uh, such that you know how to go use them. I think, hey, you're going to put something on Google, on Instagram, whatever. You have that drop down menu and they know exactly what that goes to. There's a hierarchy of things, right? Heck, your file structure is on your computer. There's a taxonomy behind things. And went through that example, right? Do I put this medical receipt under my tax folder, my, re my receipt folder? And then either or, or might as well just create a new thing called a medical receipt that can go to both, right? So I've got some work to do this weekend, reorganizing <laughs> my Google Drive. See how we put this all back in, like part of your organizational activities, like who likes to organize their, 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 their file structure in the computer? All right, we did that definitions, control vocabulary, fat list of a flat list of terms. A glossary is a control vocabulary plus your definitions. And in a data catalog, you actually take that and you connect it to the, like the, 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 the actual database schema elements. The taxonomy, you have that hierarchy, the part of kind of the child uh, relation, parent-child relationships. The SORI is the hierarchy plus kind of related, related to relationships, alternative labels, which are the synonyms. You have other languages. And then you get into the ontologies, which are the schemas that you can create relationships. You define classes, uh, relationships between the classes, attributes. And I love this quote, ontology gives taxonomy and thesauri wings. And you start putting all these things together, you really create that knowledge graph that provides that context, specifically now for AI. Um, and how do you get started? Well, first, let's understand, yeah, AI, information architecture is not so fast always, right? You have to understand the rules or there's pitfalls to avoid, like don't create recursive loops. People don't, machines don't like recursion either that much. Um, we need more information architects, right? We need the organizations shy to hire information architects and we need this. I mean, when we think about it, data kind of in its modern sense is just handful, I mean, a couple of decades around that while the library science has been going on for centuries. And finally, kind of homework for listeners is look into structured data. Whew, Jessica, what did we do? What did we miss? You did not miss a thing, I don't think. <laughs> Well, uh, it's always, again, as we always say, this is thanks to you. We're just repeating the stuff that we heard from you. So thank you so much for sharing guys. Yeah. All, all the valuable insights for everybody. All right. To wrap it up, throw it back to you. Three questions. Uh, what's your advice? Who should we invite next? And what resources do you follow? Um, what was the first one again? <laughs> what's, your, what's your advice about data? About My advice whatever. is if we're looking for starting places or that specific book, just um, start to deconstruct the taxonomies and uh, that are openly available and just start to run analysis on that. Like we're data folk. You guys have would have no problem determining. Another that. one I love to go share people with schema.org. So schema.org is great. And just understanding that and structure that as a taxonomy because there is one in there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Who should you invite next? Ooh, who should you invite next? Have you had Ole on? Yep. Yeah. Oh, darn it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to think on that. All right. And yeah. Just post on LinkedIn. Actually, Mary, Mary Bates. Do you know who that is? Or Richard? Yeah. Mary Bates. I'm not familiar. That would be interesting. Okay. All right. And then yeah. finally, uh, what resources do you follow? People, blogs, books, I follow, I guess, um, 
The discipline of organizing, I really love um, as a book. It's very abstract. Every organization I go to, I try to um, to lend lend you know that advice, and it, it is very abstract. I'll have book clubs. Um, I think book clubs are very very important just to help to get resources and information out there. But um, it's a super library and science type book, The Discipline of Organizing, but it has that abstraction that helps to take you from the beginning to the end um, of constructing uh, vocabularies, taxonomies, ontologies. Um, and I think that's a great, a great resource. All right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. Just quick reminder, next week we will have a guest, uh, Paco Nathan. Uh, I'm actually going to be live with him in a castle in the middle of nowhere, Germany. So that'll be a fun oh, nice. experience. Uh, we're going to be talking about all things around bringing innovation, open source uh, data stuff, and obviously knowledge graphs and LLMs into the real world and all that. So that'll be a fun discussion. Jessica, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This was amazing. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>